0: What is up, everybody? I'm back with another edition of the Macro Insights Podcast, where I'm joined by a very, very special guest, Monitive Wealth. Monitive Wealth has come on to some Twitter spaces here or there on Tuesday nights, so be sure to join in on there. We go into the overall macro, macro environment, his experience investing, how he kind of sees this overall macro, you know, the differences between various time periods and this and that, and he brings his wealth of knowledge, so be sure to tune in as this was a banger of an episode, and as always, ladies and gents, this is not financial advice and should never, never, never be taken as financial advice. Now, let's get into the episode, Whoosh. What is up, everybody? I'm back with another edition of the Macro Insights Podcast And for those listening on the podcasting 2.0 apps like Fountain, I really appreciate you guys leaving me boosts and streaming me sats. But in the meantime, I've got a very, very special guest. Oh, and before we get started, please like and share and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Help grow the show, help grow and share all this great macro and investing news with friends and family. So subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And I've got a very special guest. We got Raj at Monet Wealth on Twitter. Raj, how you doing today?
1: Very well, thank you. Nice thank you. Uh, cold day, actually. Pretty pretty windy and uh, and wet today, which is a good thing for California.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm in Florida right now, and there's a uh, allegedly another hurricane slash tropical storm kind of coming our way. So everybody's preparing for that as always. So um, yeah, I, I guess I kind of feel you on the on the wet days here too, but. Um, why don't we just jump right in, Raj? Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background when it comes to investing.
1: Sure. Um, so I'm in my mid-fifties, so uh, I've been doing this for a while now. Um, my company is new. I started doing this full-time um, only uh, just before the pandemic when I came back from Singapore. So I've mostly worked in the Valley since '95. We've been living in the Valley with brief uh, three year outings into Seattle and another three year into Singapore. Um, I've worked mostly in tech or or, or tech enabling um, in other industries. Um, banking has been second most uh, I've worked in. Uh, I've worked there for about six uh, eight, seven years in oh, sorry eight years in banking. The rest has been in tech and I've worked in a few other things while consulting um accounting background years ago from india not that it's that relevant but it is very useful suddenly so more useful than i've actually used it in my life i uh, came to this country to do masters uh, studied at the university of massachusetts um, and i switched over to uh, tech from then on and then uh, been in tech since uh, then the last 10 years has been in big data and analytics and uh you know it's, a, it's an easy jump to to uh, you know investing from there uh though I've been doing this for myself for a very long time uh doing it professionally came from supporting uh, you know um, both family offices and and wealth managers uh, with with data with real time analytics and things like that which I had a whole team doing so um you know I I just decided to branch out and do this myself. It's It's been a long time coming. This was a good time.
0: Yeah, so h- how did you get started in investing? Um, I know you said you kind of have a background in tech and you've kind of bounced around in a few different industries. What kind of drew you to it? And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, was it something, you know, maybe family background or, or something along those lines? Or is there something that just kind of always interests you about finance and markets?
1: So, so my dad was a uh, was a uh, was an investor for ever since I knew. So, you know, from the 70s, he's been investing in, or he's he passed away recently, but but he was uh, he was always investing in stocks in India. So, got that interest from him. So weekends were always, you know, a bunch of people, his friends coming and talking about it. So I've always been interested, and and uh, you know, having. Been trained as a professional accountant. It's easy enough to, you know, read balance sheets, understand the numbers very well. So it, it was, it was always, uh, it was always something I wanted to do. Uh, surprisingly enough, uh, when when I graduated in '94, the situation was not great. The economy was not doing well. So, uh, you know, um, we decided to my wife and I decided to move here to California because she had a great offer from Hewlett Packard at that time so i was at state street i just quit and we moved and it just made sense to you know find a job here in tech because that's what was all around us it it was a tough year and then things started moving up with the y2k build out first and then the dot com so so i just got stuck in tech and not 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 planned but it's how it went
0: yeah, that seems to happen, right? I mean, you always kind of just, you know, where life takes you. It's not always what, what goes to plan initially. But, uh, I mean, you said you kind of started in everything in 94 where the economy wasn't doing that well. And then we had, you know, 2000, the dot-com boom. Then we had 2008. And then, you know, we've had kind of like the COVID crash of 2020, the immediate crash. And then we've had, you know, now uh, the immediate upturn and then kind of now the the, the steady crash or, Uh, you know, seemingly another recession. So um, I always like to talk to people who have kind of gone through a a couple different swings because it seems like, you know, now everybody always says, oh, you know, we're in in unprecedented times and we have a lot of uh, people in my audience that this might be their first kind of big downturn. Um, So how do you view this overall, uh, you know, market downturn as, as from a macro perspective? Do you see any similarities in any of the other crashes that you've been through? Or do you see uh, any major differences
1: well so so, so first thing I want to say is it's what is surprising is how long we've not had a downturn, not that it's here now. I think people you know mistook you know uh, a fed generated market for a natural you know uh, order of things and I think you know when that when that support went away we're you know we're, we're just falling. So, so I just wanted to get that out of the way. But, uh, but each downturn is subtly different, right? Uh, 90, 92, 96 probably was 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 a longer recession. Things were just slow. Uh, you know, jobs were not there. You know, we were just going into towards the end of that period. I think uh, certainly tech came out of it fast because we were going into a massive investment cycle to get out of Y2K so so tech started coming out of that but but it was tough even then getting jobs for the first couple of years was was really tough so it's not that stocks did particularly well into the runoff it probably was 96 or 97 before things started improving a lot and then you had this massive tech investment cycle into dot com that helped Um, maybe maybe briefly but it did help So that was, that was more what we are seeing today, but in a slightly different sense. So, so it was, it was an incredible rise and, 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 and creation of a mania bubble. And then, and then when it popped, you know, all you saw was a reversion back to, okay, why did we pay this much for this company, which had, you know, nothing more than a PowerPoint to support it. And there was really no fundamentals behind it. So, so we thought we learned our lesson, we moved on, uh, you know, we rebuilt after the dot-com. Dot-com here in the Valley was tough because companies completely disappeared. And it was not that this level of wealth destruction happened in each company, but either percentage wise, yes, but there was a lot of much smaller companies that just disappeared, you know, a few thousand people was probably some of the very large startups had few thousands and they disappeared completely because the funding was pulled and there was really no rationale to keep them alive or they got bought up for a little bit and they kept a co- little bit of core staff and, and the rest were fired. So it was in, in that sense, uh, you know, the Valley was very dependent on, on those jobs. And when they disappeared, it was a few tough years, uh, certainly, 2002, 2003 were, were really tough. Uh, and then things started coming around. But again, right, it's a lesson for all of us. The companies that were built during that downturn actually did very well. Google is a great example. They could go in and hire the best of the best and they could cherry pick among all the people that were looking for a job. And the core people that built Google into what it is today you know, were, were really good. You know, and then we've gone back off into the exorcism again, right? But we'll get to that in a second. Two thousand and eight was not so much a valley issue as it was uh, you know a financial you know markets issue more than anything else. So in that sense, maybe this this uh, downturn we are having now, is the worst of 2008 and 2000 uh, 2000 put together in the sense that we're gonna lose the tech access, which has to come off, which is coming off. There will be a job loss associated with it. That's gonna be pretty significant, but there's also a financial bubble that popped and we're seeing that in valuations, maybe this time not so much in housing yet because the hit is going to have to be taken by homeowners rather than the banks but but other instruments are coming off you know, We saw cryptos today um, i don't invest in cryptos so i have no position so i don't want to get into that necessarily but just making a point that that anything that was overvalued without without significant supporting fundamentals is, is coming off and coming off fast so each each one is different what worries me this time is is we are not there in a recession in any sense because we are at very 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 low unemployment. Not sustainable, right? It's full employment in every sense. Three and a half, three point seven, three point eight, whatever it is today, somewhere you know, shy of four percent, is not a sustainable level. Obviously, you have that low employment. Sorry, unemployment. You're going to have price pressures on on wages. So so I think. I think we have to see a lot more unemployment probably at least into the mid force before, before we get somebody uh, from either the fiscal or monetary side coming off the sidelines and saying, you know, enough is enough, let's do something. So, so my take is, is, is this recession is, you know, I hate to say it, but this is probably going to be more a white collar recession than a blue collar recession.
0: No. Yeah. So so, why do you say that? Just because of like potentially the, the major tech layoffs and just because of like, you know, maybe it, it seems like to me a lot of these tech companies were extremely overvalued. They hired way too many people and, uh, you know, they just kind of uh, weren't really prepared for such an economic downturn. It seems like a lot of them are bleeding. Uh, you know, I, Meta today just announced uh, the parent company of Facebook just announced that they're firing 50 percent of their workforce or not, not maybe not 50%, but they said that they're going to start layoffs tomorrow. Yeah. We're, we're, we're recording this on the eighth. And then we had Twitter, you know, obviously Elon bought Twitter and then had massive amounts of layoffs as well. So it seems like a lot of these tech companies are kind of going through it and just cleaning house. Um, So where do you see, I guess some of this talent kind of going, do you think they're going to get scooped up by maybe some of the other bigger players of the tech industry or uh, you know, because because it does seem like there's been a shortage in the trades uh, and other things like that. You know, in the past couple of years with home building and other stuff. But you know, some of these uh, these tech guys really probably don't have the the skill set for for something along those lines. So you know, in this kind of job market, where do these uh, tech guys go?
1: So I, I i've I've written and talked about it in spaces too. So so I think. Well, this is again my own personal opinion, just formed from years of being here in the valley and working in in tech and managing these, you know, managing through these layoffs. It's not easy, you know, when you're a director, senior director doing this is is just gut wrenching. People think it's easy to lay off. It's not. It's 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 very difficult. So so going back, so I think there are it's a bifurcated market there is a generic skill set that's in extreme excess. And there is a lot of that in the company that can be easily cut. Uh, These are people that were hired because there was this massive expectation of growth and while they were not a perfect fit, they thought they would train them up because they needed the resource being, like a warm body that can code, right? It's It's an obvious saying in the valley. You don't need when when you start hiring a warm body that can code you've got a problem it means you are optimized sub optimizing somewhere you're accepting a lower level of skill talent aptitude whatever it may be uh, just to fill a role rather than finding the right perfect person for that role right so most of these companies saw this pull forward as a, as a sustaining trend and they went and hired too many and when you hire too many you typically you know sub and you hire you know not the best people that you can get if you wait so so i think that is one group and that's probably the very large group the 60 percent uh, this 20%, let's say uh, somewhere in the middle, and then there's the other 20% that's extremely qualified, talented, experienced, and knowledgeable. So the balance is to, you know, not lose that 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 last group and cut as much as the first group you can right but it's a tough balance depending this is the big problem with tech that most people don't understand talent that is really special always finds an outlet to go into so let's just take meta as an example they can easily find the 10 15% that of the lowest quality within their within their cohort that they can lay off would they? Would all 15% be that? Unfortunately, no. The problem is there's going to be a lot of people that either, for whatever political, you know, internal, personal reasons, get added to it that don't don't deserve to be fired, right? This is this is nepotism. Call it what you want. There's, there's a lot of reasons, not one. That goes into it. Those firing decisions tend to be suboptimal in many ways. They do tend to affect the wrong people. Partly, you would hope that they get more of the people they don't need out of there, rather than the people that they will really need. Right? You saw with Twitter; they are now asking some people to come back. It's a weird instance, but it does happen a lot. Uh, so then, this that that within that really talented pool, they're going to start thinking, hey, we're cutting back, budgets are down, I won't be able to do the projects I necessarily came here to do or wanted to do. I have the talent, I have the knowledge, let me go check what's available for me and they'll start putting out feelers. And typically in the Valley, you don't really apply for a job you don't even really apply for an opening if you're really good an opening is created for you that's how it works it's it's like there's a generic opening that really has no match to either the need or the candidate what happens is you know you you know somebody who knows somebody make a call get a coffee talk and then, you know, they ask you to apply. That's hand carried through HR into into the hiring manager's hands. They meet, they, they meet the team. If there's a fit, you know, the, the position is not so much the position is closed, but what happens is for the sake of legal requirements and HR requirements, they go through an interview set with candidates that have absolutely no chance of getting it. So they interview 10 people just to, or five or three, whatever, just, just to go through the process. But they've already made up their mind. The job was really created for this one person in mind, right? Because he suddenly became available. So even Meta, going forward, will have those pocket roles. That's typical in the Valley. It's always happened that way. Whether it was pre.com um, um, or now, it's just become more and more of how you get hired. So so the first group are going to find it really difficult to land a job that pays anything close to what they were getting paid right now until things stabilize and things start opening up again. The last group will probably end up at the at at worst going laterally in in either roles or 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 package. Most likely they will get a little boost. Some of them are so good that they'll get a big boost anyway. So that's, but that's rare, maybe 2%, 3% of of the cohort there. But, but for the 60% that is at most risk, if things are done correctly, it's going to be a tough year. It's going to be really tough.
0: Yeah. So it seems like, you know, growth overall is just going to kind of be hurt. You know, we're seeing a lot of these crypto companies get hurt as well. Yep. FTX too, today announced that, you know, they're going bankrupt and, you know, put, they're potentially getting bought out by Binance and other exchange. So, you know, what kind of industries then and sectors are you looking at that that are potentially going to prosper from all of this? Um, because, you know, generally speaking, there's, you know, if the market downturns, some industries are affected a lot more than others. And it seems like growth and tech kind of industries that are maybe overvalued, over leveraged, what have you. going to get really hurt right now but you know what are some of the industries that you think that that might prosper potentially in this uh, next couple years or so
1: maybe i should have taken a little bit of time to explain what i do and and that would have been a good lead-in into into your question so so as much as i spend a lot of time in tech you know it's my it's my accounting brain that i put to use most of the time um i am a more traditional investor in that sense um i have for my own use, uh, tuned and perfected for my limited needs, of course. Uh, sector rotation theory. So uh, I I study you know and follow where the where the strength is for whatever reasons, um, and 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 I follow the money there. Um, I typically you know so so. For most people that that are not aware, sector rotation has been used for many many decades. It's nothing new. It's been used forever in 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 the street. Uh, so sector so so you take economic cycles, which is the boom bust cycle uh, that 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 normal economies without you know force tweaking that we had in the last few years would go through in every few years, right? You have You have a, you know, you have a cycle that picks up steam, runs up, you know, it's a full-on boom, you know, the boom runs out of steam, it slows down, we go into a recession, and then things get really bad, and then you repeat that cycle again. Normally, for five years, you'd have an entire cycle. We've had a long time when we've not really had a pullback, and that's primarily because of fiscal and monetary interventions that we've had. So... Typical sector rotation overlays this economic cycle, business cycle, whatever you want to call it. And there are different sectors that perform well in different parts of the cycle. Uh, As a simple example, when you are, um, you know, when you are at the bottom of the cycle, you know, when things are completely risk off, when you don't want to, you know, have, when when, when you want to, you know, keep your when preservation of capital is more important than growth, then you typically uh, have a lot of uh, money flowing into uh, parts of healthcare, utilities, and staples, because those are consumed irrespective of what the economic situation is. When things start improving, the first thing that happens is small businesses start going to banks for loans. They start opening up new, uh, you know, small businesses, restaurants, shops, whatever. So bank activity picks up, loan, loan demand picks up. So financials typically lead out of an economic cycle, uh, economic cycle bottom. So, and then as things pick up, you know, you start investing more in other industries, tech, and things like that, and then your industrials join tech starts really bursting out because now everybody's investing money, they want efficiencies, they go to tech for, you know, whatever new whatever newest solution is that's going to make them do their work better for cheaper for whatever, right? More secure. And then as it turns back, things reverse again, right? So so that risk on, risk off model creates a demand at different times for different sectors so i've been using this for a very long time uh even when i was working for my own needs i would i would always use this and now i i pretty much you know use it um i'm i'm, I'm mostly set up as a as a family office i was going to raise a fund but covid got in the way so i decided not to do that for now just waiting for uh, you know a People's expectations to you know get real for a while before going and raising the money again, um, but but anyway, coming back. So so sector rotation has to be based on some part of macro, you know, uh, reality, fundamentals and technicals, right? So you should always use technicals before entry you can be perfectly right with a the thesis. If you enter it wrong, you're still gonna have a bad result. So technicals are really important for entry, less so but important enough for exit. But so, so what I do is I have my, my data sources and I do screens every week, every month, every day. So once I have a primary criteria for the screens, I have a list of stocks that I want to watch, a list of industries I want to watch. Then I check them every day, see what's changing, what's uh, you know. There, there's a lot of ways to do it. Um, you can you can look at sector performance or industry performance week over week and see where the volume is improving, where the you know where the strength belies what's happening in the market where the profitability is increasing, where jobs are still in plenty, things like that. So, so these are industries that are performing in spite of what's happening in the rest of the economy. That's typically the sector I want. So uh, the last four months or so, I've been writing extensively about defense sector. So it's, okay, subsector, not, not so much aerospace, which is commercial side of it, but, but pure defense place been writing a lot about them and there's few very obvious reasons one is you know an increasing cold war with china and russia plus this real war in ukraine that's going on and and if you see irrespective of the country the large countries are all substantially increasing their defense budget so we could go into a slowdown in spending we could have cutbacks from government on so many different things we could have cutbacks from the private sector but then you have trillions of dollars in budget across 10 15 countries that is stable and growing right now That's that's a that's a you know big flashing red sign saying hey look here right so it's, it's, this was simple, you know easy enough, it was very visible, but that's what I look for is what is going to outperform in any context, right? So it's very easy to see defense is going to win, and they have been outperforming. I've been writing about that, like I said. Um, I, I write a sub stack, I write for bar chart also, and I post on Twitter. So all these places have been talking extensively about defense. Um, you know, take take Lockheed Martin, Uh, every week they get a few hundred million in orders for something or the other. It could be a replacement order, an extension of an existing order, a new order for F-35s, a new order for HIMARS, a new order for munitions, or support from the DoD to expand a factory. There's literally a litany of things that they get orders for almost on a weekly basis. They have a 165 billion order book that could probably go to 200 billion in a few years' time, a couple of years' time. Against this economic backdrop with an increasing order book, I'm glad I'm there. Right. So now it's not for everybody. They make, you know, high single digits to low teens, mid teens margin at best. So it's not going to break the bank. So, which means, entry and, and 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 the actual trade itself matter a lot more than you know than than expectations of what the company will do so how you set up the trade where you enter matters almost 100% to what your result is going to be so i i wrote about it before results again right i've been in it for a while um, i wrote about it before results i said hey it's more than likely that they will miss they typically do that's mostly not a function of bad business but timing issues with government orders right sometimes they can deliver sometimes they cannot deliver sometimes air force cannot take delivery for whatever reasons and this time we had some hiccup with 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 a with a, a rare earth uh, uh magnet part that came from china that was not allowed in an f-35 which are not supposed to have anything sourced from china so that grounded things for a few weeks before they sorted it out it's a small thing but when you know when it's 80 million dollars a plane and you don't deliver four of them there goes your quarter right so 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 i wrote about it i said hey you know pick it up it 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 announces pre-market i said pick it up when it blows little bit off you know because of something they said or something they didn't say sure enough i think it went down to 392 and uh, i i had picked it up for a trading i have trading position and a, and a long position so i, I picked up uh, additional trading position at 405 chased it down it it, it it didn't stop going right it went all the way to 392 i didn't i tried to buy it pre-market i couldn't i think i got it at 396 or 397 and then i just sat on it within a few days it was up at 450 i got out and you it's up 40 bucks since then no regrets it's only my trading position i have a large position you know but 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 that's the thing entry is hyper critical uh noc's uh, northrop is another great example there was a silly uh, uh downgrade by a by, by an analyst, a JPM analyst, a very respected analyst. I don't know why, it was a horrible timing though. And it went from five ten to four fifty in one day. I wrote about it, I picked it up at for I couldn't pick it up at four fifty. I I tried on options R these are not very heavily traded ones, so the volume is very thin. So I picked it up um uh, at ask the bid-ask spread of like five bucks. I picked it up at ask, so it was not an idea. So you can only do that if you're sure it's going to move $15, $20, otherwise you're just going to burn your money there. Uh, then in a few days, it was back at 420, 425. I sold it the next day, it went to 430, and it was another, you know, I had to sell that ask and lost another four or five bucks there. So, I mean, made a lot of money in in, in a week and a half, But again, my point about entry and exits being very important in this because these don't, these are not going to grow at 40, 50, these are not tech companies, they grow very slowly, their growth is dependent on one or two or 10 customers that are notoriously difficult to work with, right, these are governments of the world, right, so. So anyway, that's a sector I like. Um, I'm looking at a few others for the future. I'm still doing research, so I've not written about it yet, Um, but I've talked briefly about it. Looking at the results of the airlines, they are starting to put back a lot of international flights. So multi aisle aircraft are coming back. So I like the MRO sector. I'm gonna take a deeper look into it. MRO is maintenance repair overhaul. So it's a small subgroup of the aerospace defense sector where they do all this routine maintenance that's required to keep a plane flying. Now it's 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 good money because it's solid cash flow that happens again and again on a schedule, right? If you if you if you're a fly if you're flying an aircraft commercial, you have to do daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly maintenance, replacements, repairs after certain hours. It's just required. That's big money for a lot of these companies. So that's what I'm working on. I think that has good legs as long as uh, planes keep flying. Remember, these guys just shut everything down. So this industry was dead in the water for a while, right? For two years, there was no there was, there's no money coming in other than contractually what they were forced to give, which they try, went to court, tried to get out of, right? The airlines did, so. so that's an industry I like. I like regional banks uh, primarily because they don't have exposure to all these uh, credit instruments that cause problems uh, with, with, uh, you know, with extreme margins, uh, things that are very high risk. They don't have any of those in the books. So I like regional banks as a sector, but it, it requires more work. And there's a few other things I'm looking into. Um, I've not found a solid thesis yet, but this is how I trade now. If China opens up, it changes a lot of things. Um, one, uh, one of the things that 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 ran on Friday is base metals, right? BHP, Rio Tinto, Valley are all up three, 10%. Now they're still, they've given up most of that. They're still near their two two-year lows or so. So those are good companies, especially BHP. is a very well-managed, very good company. So, um, you know, played right with the right option trade. Uh, You could pick up, you know, very large uh, profit there. Again, you have to time it right. But for that to work, China has to be open. Otherwise, there's no trade in it. So this is how I trade. I don't go buy Baba if China opens. Now that's an obvious trade. Everybody's gonna pile on and, and a lot of people are gonna make money out of it. For me, it's that, that that level of risk doesn't let me get some sleep. So so I prefer to look at something like that. Then if 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 they do start buying iron ore, then the bulk carriers will run too. There are a few good ones those are the kinds of stuff that i chase i i don't want the overplayed hand i want i want some simple you know easy money and i will complicate it with the trade itself rather than you know going where it's a high risk trade so for me the risk is in the trade not the stock
0: and that that's pretty interesting that there's industries that you brought up because you know generally speaking around FinTwit and, and all that kind of stuff you always hear people talking about, <laughs> about it. Yeah, nobody talks about, uh, you know, maybe like a Lockheed Martin, some of these defense companies, or even the airlines right now, right? I mean, it, I think the the most airtime I heard the airlines get was, you know, when Warren Buffett said they were kind of done okay. or they were yep. making a detergents or whatnot, and people were kind of day trading them. But I think the, the interesting thing to me about the airlines is that generally speaking – majority of the major airlines don't make any money when you fly they make a lot of money on on your membership or having the credit cards but it seems like a lot of the you know airline travel now is getting more expensive and is that something that you kind of see as like a trend like because there's still that demand for people to kind of fly back and forth uh kind of see family and friends and whatnot that they haven't seen because of covid um you know and they're kind of you know, I guess itching for that, that travel. So do you think even with like that elevated price for airline travel, that it's going to affect, you know, maybe some of the holiday travel or anything like that?
1: Um, so, so the the fact that people have been cooped up, they're just, you know, unleashing, right? So, so I think we're going to have travel for a little bit, especially international travel, right? Even though local travel picked up, there's been very little of international travel and, and given that, you know, there's a war going on in parts of Europe and, and, and then weather setting in, maybe maybe it'll get moderated a little bit for the next quarter or so. Uh, what has not returned really uh, in strength is the business travel. I think that that's, that was the most profitable part of, of the, you know, of, of the seats for, you know, in every plane. Uh, so, so that's not returned in any strength. That will come back someday. But. You know that that obviously depends on a good economy because it's easy to you know with with all the experience we've had working remotely it's easy to say let's cut those travel costs right so which is why i don't want to invest in the airline itself i want you know i want the pick and shovels play here for me is the one that services those planes keeps them running so so that's that's why I am not I, I, I I've never been a fan of airlines. You're right, they they've never been profitable. More more importantly, they've been horrible managers of their own money. You know, they buy back at the wrong time and and end up with you know with with no money when they need it, and they you know get bailed out by the government. They clean up their act for a year or two and then go back to their bad habits almost immediately. So, so I've no love lost for the airline itself, but as long as they're paying their bills, the MROs will do fine. So, so that's that's how I look at it. The obvious. So we've become so used to the obvious trade that we've got to grow out of it, right? Obvious trade was easy when the Fed had your back. Now you have to work a little bit for it, which is why I think, you know, guys like me that do a little bit of work every day for, you know, finding that occasional trade. And I don't trade every day. It might take me weeks to find something to do, and, and that, that that pays off. But 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 it's not a payoff that can rival. Uh, I I don't know. There's no way to you know check these things, but what these people claim they do on day trades. It's beyond me, but, but, but I don't get that kind of return. I'm happy to generate alpha beyond what the market is doing on a sustained basis with reasonable risk. That's all it's always been.
0: Now let's get into a little bit of the defense um, because I don't I don't know I mean whenever I think of these defense companies I almost think of that movie War Dogs and I'm not sure if you've seen it with like Jonah <laughs> Hill and uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I can't even think the other actor's name so I apologize but uh, you know you know it always seems like you know they even say that there's a ton of money in war and you know I believe the U S just sent some soldiers over to the Ukraine and you know it seems. Yeah, if this conflict doesn't keep escalating, it it's kind of here around to stay. I mean, it's been it's it was something that people were kind of speculating. Maybe it happens a couple of months. Uh, is this something where like, you know, the longer this goes on, the more kind of something like a Lockheed Martin or some of these other bigger defense companies like benefit? Um, because, you know, I like I said, I myself, I haven't really seen, uh, you know, kind of a conflict like this go on. Uh, so I haven't really seen too much on how some of these potential defense companies react?
1: So, so first of all, uh, you know, right now, I think they run up too much too fast. So they need to take a breather. I think they all come down by 10% possibly within, within a few months. So, so I wouldn't chase right here, right? I'm not putting any additional money to work. I, I would happily start taking profits if it goes up anymore more and not regret it it's It's okay, you know I, I I'm sitting on big fat profits on those, so I'm happy to take it but let's let's go you know into detail on what you asked, right? So between the end of Cold War and now, the Western forces are much smaller in every way than they were during the Cold War period we have fewer aircraft fewer men fewer uh, ships you know fewer facilities meaning your your bases and your uh, you know operating centers theaters Uh, we have fewer munitions supplies on the shelf so so that was all okay until maybe a few years ago when things started changing for the worse i mean Look, the war on terror was more very specific to a kind of war, right? It's it's not widespread. It is concentrated in a certain area that's far enough away from what most of us see other than on CNN. Uh, it's a different type of war. It, it was very expensive, unfortunately, uh, for, for lots of reasons, uh, inefficiency, you know, bad planning, lots of it, but it's not it's not cold war which is a sustained spin that that goes on year after year and just increases without actually shooting anything you're just you're just preparing for worst case scenario that you keep redefining as worser and worser as you think more as you play out more uh, more uh, you know uh, potential you know scenarios so you're just building up and building up and building up not really using it but just building up and and, and and you have a standoff. And we did that for 30 years since, you know, 60s to, you know, to Reagan's time, and we just kept building. Now we have two very, at that time it was Russia and, and, and US it, right? The NATO and Russia. So China was irrelevant. Now we have China that's a significant power that's posturing all over the sea. They want to, you know, take control of the south china sea which is a major route for us and and for a lot of our partners and and also uh, what remains of russia has become very uh you know belligerent and especially you know not just ukraine which they've been attacking repeatedly since 2014 but you know if 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 they're you know, hyperbole has to be believed, right? They have, in, they have, uh, you know, eyes on 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 Baltic states, on Finland, lots of places, right? Poland. So there's, there's a lot at stake here, and 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 now we have two potential enemies that that we have to prepare for. So first thing is we don't have supplies. We have to start building up back again. We don't. We might not need men. Um, fighting, you know, warriors, right, men and women uh, as much as before because technology has changed a lot in the war, right? You have all these unmanned uh, uh, vehicles everywhere that that can be used to, you know, just destroy infrastructure, pinpoint precision target, uh, you know, bases and, and, and military facilities, things like that. So the complexion of how a war is fought and where the budget is spent is gonna change dramatically from what we've learned in this last, uh, since February this year, I think is this, there's war strategy teams in place in Poland and Germany that are reading off every data that's coming off every day from Ukraine and they're learning and they're changing. But it takes time for the Defense Department, you know, the big wigs to really change. So it's gonna take a few years. But, 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 uh, you know, to make a long story short, I think we are at the beginning of a new kind of spin cycle that's probably going to, unless unless we have significant change in power in China and Russia and a return to normalcy and talking and, and openness, we're inevitably going into a cold war that might last another few decades. And the build up to that is going to just start. And 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 uh, you know when we say just start, it's it's an extensive rearming of a dozen countries in Europe and obviously US of course and 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 maybe another half a dozen or dozen countries in in Asia and and uh, everybody is going to have a big budget and start spending. And it's 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 one of the handful of areas where U.S. has retained uh, you know technical hegemony. So so we do have the benefit of that coming to us, good or bad. You know we still the you know we still the weapon suppliers to the universe. So you know I again right not making light of it. It's 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 blood money unfortunately, but. But it is
0: what it is. For sure. And so with all this going on, you know, the potential of uh, maybe a a Cold War that lasts for a very long time, you know, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty in markets. Um, You know, there's a lot of uncertainty globally and and a lot of uncertainty going forward. So, you know, I usually like to wrap it up with with one uh, or two questions here. It's like, you know, for somebody that's kind of just getting started or has just maybe started investing in the last couple of years, you know, what advice do you have for them in some like turbulent times? Um, and uh, yeah, like how, how do you, uh, you know, kind of maybe adjust and and uh, tell them, you know, hey, you know, even though it's maybe a, a extremely volatile market, just kind of give them that a little push at the end to, to get started investing.
1: Okay um so so first thing is in 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 any weak market and down cycle economic cycle it's more important to preserve your capital over anything else return is secondary return of capital versus return on capital is far more important i think people need to know that cash is a position it's okay to have cash it's okay to do nothing there is really no need to be forced into a position it's just it's just it's just silly to think that you're going to miss something big because you waited out a few days. Uh, Personally, you know, in my decades of doing this, I've rarely gotten in at the bottom of a trend or beginning of a trend. I've rarely gotten out at the very top. That's okay. It's that wait for a trend to establish, get the middle 30, 40, 50% of the trend. That's all you need. You don't need bottoms and tops. So you don't need to chase anything. Wait for something to 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 settle down and and, and and show itself when it shows you know you can get in you don't have to chase every trend you know before before it becomes a trend uh, that's that's very important. I don't think be enough people do that. second thing is I think it's it's important to look outside tech. There's a lot being said about you know when we come out of this it's not going to be tech. I don't necessarily believe that. But I agree with the general import of that idea, which is basically people should be diversified. You know, there's always a sector or two or three that, or let's forget sectors, there's always an industry or two or three that do well in different parts of the economy, in different times of the economy. Go find those, right? Like uh, healthcare, for example, right? If it's a risk off pharma and healthcare providers do well, If it's a risk on biotech does well, Uh, uh, you know, medical equipment makers do well, right? It's the same sector, but at different points in the, in the economic cycle, different parts of the industry, different parts of the sector do well. Similar thing with financials, you know, bottom of the cycle, uh, you know, typically more traditional banks do well, top of the cycle, investment banks do better. As you turn down, insurance companies do better all the way to the down cycle in the market. So so you've got to find an industry or sector or idea that's appropriate to the economic cycle that we are in. For most part, let's just say we are entering into a recession, whether that's a shallow one, long one, it's irrelevant. There are, you can read up this lot of written literature about what does well in a recession. So have some exposure to that. If not, I mean, look, I'm not a bond guy. I don't invest in bonds. I don't do much at all. This, this, almost anybody else that you can ask, that's probably better than me. But you know, I bonds. You have ten thousand dollars. This like five, six percent, whatever interest rate. That's that's big. You know, and even three month bonds, right? If you want to wait, sit out, learn. Now's the best time to do it. Put it in three-month T-bills, and while you, you know, upgrade your education, your experience, learn something, and you're going to be better off for it. Whatever you missed, you're probably going to save by not losing later.
0: Raj, that's awesome stuff. And on that note, we'll wrap it up here. Thanks so much for giving me your time. I really appreciate it. Why don't you tell everybody what you got going on and where they can find you?
1: um at monitor wealth on on twitter uh, my um, my profile has linked to my substack i it's free i don't have any services that charge anything i i answer dms for most part when i'm free so i will i i, I don't give stock ideas but i give sector ideas i give industry ideas you can pick your stock I do write about specific stocks, but I don't tell you you go buy this right now you know it's 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 an idea that that I've researched it's obviously not all of my research right so so it it is important in most of these to go find the right entry and exit but it's useful reading so. So that's there. I also, for people that are, uh, that have bar chart subscription, I post the same, the same articles in bar chart also I'm an author there. I'm going to be, like I said, um, I'm going to start on, I just finished the series on defense. I wrote, I think five posts, probably time to go to the next sector. That doesn't mean the defense play is done, right? It's got a long ways to go. Um, but 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 I think there's this more work that can be done in other places that 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 might have, uh, you know, good enough uh, returns for the next few months.
0: That's awesome stuff. Yeah. Everybody go subscribe to his newsletter and follow him at Monitive Wealth. Raj, thanks so much. Look, for, I uh, really enjoyed this conversation. You brought some unique ideas and uh, hopefully the audience will enjoy it as well.
1: Thank you so much. Really appreciate you inviting me. This is the first time for me, so I, you know, it's wonderful. Thank you.
0: There we go. You awesome.
1: made it easy, so that was good.
0: <laughs> I hope so. I hope
1: so.